Hello everyone, it's Troy and welcome to the AC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm happy as always to be sitting with Andy Steiger and Steve Kim on behalf of Apologetics Canada. And today we are chatting about our reflections of a year with COVID-19 and how it has affected our culture, our church, and our lives personally. So right off the hop, I guess for myself, this has definitely been a year of introspection, a lot of looking inward, a lot of allowing God to just reveal things that, you know, in the business of life, we sometimes overlook or we don't pay attention to. And so in that regard, COVID has been kind to me, but that does not negate the fact that there have been people who have lost lives during this time. And so we definitely offer our condolences to anyone who may be dealing with that, going through that. It's been a hard year and COVID is still here. We're still having restrictions. We still got regulations. And that's what we're here to talk about today, how this impacts us. It was interesting that it was this time last year that I was preaching in a church. We had just heard about COVID and we're beginning to wonder whether or not this was going to have much of an effect. It was interesting because I was preaching at a Chinese church. And so they were particularly concerned about this, given that some of them had been to China recently and and whatnot. So, you know, it's kind of interesting looking back now at when this first began. Now, what's also interesting, January 26th was the day that Kobe Bryant and his daughter uh, died in that helicopter crash. Now, I remember that because that happened right when I was preaching and I gave a call for people to give their lives to the Lord. And there was this guy in the service listening, was thinking, man, should I, you know, give my life to the Lord? And then his phone pings, he looks down and it says, you know, Kobe Bryant just died in a helicopter crash. And he says, it's this moment for him. He tells me this after the service, right? But he's like, it's this moment for him just going, man, life can change in the blink of a moment. And that day he gives his life to the Lord. Now, little did we know that all of our lives were about to change drastically yeah. as well. And I think this pandemic has really revealed a lot of different kinds of things. For one, I think it's really giving us a sense of our own mortality because we keep hearing of people who are dying from COVID or they're, that are in ICU and those kinds of things. And as February is approaching, I am also reminded of when my father passed away all those years ago. And yeah, I mean, it's just the frailty of life. When he was leaving for the airport with my brother that morning, and I still remember I only saw, like I couldn't really see his face as they were driving away, but I saw like from his neck down kind of thing from where I was, just the angle and everything. And I was just completely in the mindset of, oh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks, right? And he never did. It happened so quickly. All we did was just get a couple of phone calls and he was you know, first phone call saying that he was in the ICU and next phone call saying that he passed away. And it was just like that, five minutes back to back. And so I'm reminded of that, especially around this time of the year, looking at everything that's happening with COVID. I'm just like, man, like it could be that quick. Right. And it's a weird thing because I think when it comes to, you know, you think about the Kobe Bryant tragedy and all those that were affected in that tragedy, it seems as though it takes a celebrity passing away for us to all of a sudden start thinking about, oh man, death shows no partiality. You know, there's no favoritism. We will all face it one way or another. And 
I think for me, that was one of the, it was a surprising feeling for even me because I mean, Kobe Bryant was, was a hero of mine growing up. You know, he, he was my favorite basketball player. And so to wake up in the morning and see this tragic event happen, I was like, what? No, this gotta be fake Kobe. And even that had me questioning myself like, yeah, what do you mean? Kobe, of course. It could have been anybody, but I really don't feel like it should take a celebrity passing away suddenly for us to start taking death seriously. This is one of the challenges in the world that we live in. We we live in a world of comfort, but we also live in a world of distraction. It's so easy to have, you know, maybe somebody passes away or these you know those those challenging moments in life that force you to come face to face with your mortality, but we can go shopping. We can go watch a movie. We can, you know, we have all these different ways that we distract ourselves in in the world that we live in. Now, being in this pandemic is quite challenging. And it's interesting as I've been reading, just the mental health of of the world is not doing well. We we were created to live in community, in relationship. and, And you take people out of that and coming at this from a little different perspective, as I'm sharing here, now you don't have those ways of distracting yourself and you got to come face to face with with yourself. Maybe you got to come face to face maybe with your own brokenness or your family brokenness. or you got to come face to face with your own mortality and you're really being forced to deal with why you're here and what this is all about. And I think that's where a lot of the angst and the, the frustration and the challenge is, is, man, am I OK with that? Maybe a different way of putting it is, is my hope in Christ strong enough to see me through that? Piggybacking off of that, uh, CNN just a few weeks ago released a story uh, saying that in Japan, the number of people dying from suicide was higher now than people dying from COVID. Right, so there is that social cost of lockdown and, and those kinds of things. And so I think it's pretty significant if you think about, you know, in a sense with COVID, what we're trying to do is there is that immediate danger of you potentially losing life because, you know, the virus attacks your lungs and you can't breathe and all that kind of stuff. But then there is the bit more long-term impact that can be just as serious, which is, well, What's the mental cost? What, what is the psychological cost of that? And I think it goes to show that we are, we're made for more than just our devices. I think we forget that sometimes the device is made for us, but it's almost like, you know, as we get more and more absorbed into our devices, we see ourselves, I think, more like we are made for the device almost, you know? And so we kind of start to lose a little bit of that humanity. There's another piece to that too, isn't there, Steve, where you can get lost in devices and, and those sorts of distractions, but you can also get lost in despair, yeah. as you brought up, and somebody takes their life, but you can get lost in a substance as well. And mm-hmm. aren't we seeing that here, at least in British Columbia? I mean, our overdose deaths are are crazy high. Yeah. Here's just from my own experience. I, w- I went skiing with my kids the other day, and there were a, a bunch of young people there and as we're on the lift, just waiting to get on, you could hear them all talking about the latest drug that they were trying or the mushroom that they did, whatever. With. I don't even know what. I was kind of just blown away, just going, oh, man. I mean, like, that's the level of what's going on here is people are trying to cope, I guess, or hide in their own different ways of, of reality. I think this really goes to show we're not really any better 
lately I've been reading a lot of books that have to do with modern history, you know, 1800s, 1900s, you know, those kinds of things. And back in those days, especially, and I think this is still the case, but we have this view that we are better off today than people were back whenever, right? So we've progressed so much, you know, the, the scientific advances, technological advances and, and legal advances and all those kinds of things. And we tend to have this sort of what C.S. Lewis called the chronological snobbery, where just because we are living in later times that we are better off. But then you look at stuff like this and we go, really, are we any better off? Or are we really no different than cavemen just with better tools? Right, because we're just as broken in many ways. You're exactly right, Steve. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. So that means with every advancement in culture, in technology, whatever, we're always going to have this wrestle between dealing with the inward or distracting ourselves with the outward. And more often than not, we just love to distract ourselves, as Andy alluded to earlier. You know, I, I think that's so true. I think one of the challenges that we have is that our view of brokenness often is external, right? Brokenness is something that comes from the outside, right? So whether it's the pandemic or whether it's a, a helicopter crash or whatever it is, but we often forget that really the brokenness is inside. And I think COVID is really revealing that, right? We're having a hard time like Andy, you said earlier, as we are now faced with our own selves, that's probably the hardest thing that I had to do in my mid-20s was when, uh, I still remember this very clearly, I went to Columbia Bible College, I had just finished my first year, it was the summertime. Now, when I went to Bible school, just for context, I left home knowing that there's no way I'm going back. And sure enough, by the time I finished my first year of school, there was really no home to go back to in a lot of ways. And so my friends were my family. But the thing was, at a Bible school, a lot of students are from all over the country and even from the United States or whatever, right? So everybody's going back to Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, right? A lot of friends are just kind of have moved away for the summer. And I was left by myself with a roommate who had a uh, an opposite schedule. So I worked in the evenings, he worked during the day, so I hardly got to see him. So I was just completely left by myself. And that was the time when I really had to come to face with all my brokenness. Six days out of seven, I spent in tears. That was the hardest summer by far in my life. But that was also the time uh, my faith in God really pulled me through. And I should say, really, God pulled me through, right? He broke me right down and built me back up. And that's when I, again, came to realize this brokenness is not external. It's inside. That's the real brokenness that we have to deal with. Do you know, it's interesting looking at some statistics. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, the Pew Research has come out from the Pew Research Center, that for a number of people, interestingly enough, especially in North America, their faith has actually been strengthened by this pandemic and not weakened. Does that surprise you guys? You know, I think at first, if you had to ask me earlier on in the pandemic, I would have been like, really? But you know, now being a year into this thing, I'm like, actually, that that makes a lot of sense because I think what it did is it compartmentalized um, church for a lot of people. I believe COVID 
and, you know, the church lockdowns or the heavy restrictions and shifting to live stream. I think it really reminded a lot of people, man, why do I do this? Why do I go to church for what? What is the purpose in this? Right. I mean, let's call it what it is. Church for a lot of people is just a social event. It is a safe place to hang out, to meet people, hear good music, hear a positive message and then carry on with your day. And obviously that's not the case for everybody. And I don't even think that's the the worst thing. Um, I think it's a great starting point. But where I see the strengthening of faith happening was for people that really were like, man, my church can't even do live stream anymore. So where am I going to get my messages? Where am I going to where am I going to get my worship? And people actually had to pursue the word of God for themselves. There's something special, you know, about that individual study time, you know, pursuing the Lord actively for yourself is very different than hoping or desiring or expecting someone else to spoon feed it to you because sometimes a spoon feeding can be excruciating, right? But when you're actually pursuing God for yourself, that's really where that building happens. It's like lifting weights. If I go and lift these weights by myself and I'm pursuing fitness, it's going to affect me differently than if I'm doing it for somebody else, just to make somebody else happy or mark something off of my list just so people leave me alone. For me, I look at those statistics and I go, you know what? I can definitely see that. This, that's partly what suffering does is it refines us, right? We tend to think, I guess, especially in the West, suffering is something that's unexpected. It is something foreign to the Christian life. Uh, I was just preaching on 2 Timothy chapter 3 at church on Sunday, and here is Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, in the final days of his life, right? Because he he knows he's probably going to get executed pretty soon here. So, he's writing this to Timothy to mentor him. And he said, you've seen all that I'm about. And then he says, Timothy, expect persecution, right? Expect persecution because those who want to live a godly life, you are going to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. And then the evil people, they're going to go from bad to worse. You know, there are, there are these trajectories kind of thing. And so suffering is part of the Christian walk. And it refine, one of the things it does is it refines our faith. It really tests us. How good is your faith really? Yes, you can pay lip service to, you know, yes, I love the Lord. I, I will stick with you. Like Peter was saying, right? Like, you know, Lord, I'll never leave you. But when the time came, when the moment of truth came, he abandoned Jesus. You know, like, what about you? Are you going to be like that when the time comes? Are you going to abandon the Lord? Are you going to abandon your faith? I think this is an important part of our faith growing and. And as people are listening to this, maybe this is something that you got to be thinking in your own life is as how is God using the suffering of our current moment for your good? How is God using this to shape, guide, and direct? Because I think that that surprises people is to realize that God can actually use suffering to your good and that that not all suffering is bad. Because I don't want to like glorify suffering though and say like suffering's good because I think that we have a future hope in which there is no no suffering. But in this moment, there can be a beauty to suffering as God uses it to his good purposes, as we love and, and care for one another, as I learn to trust in the Lord and to place my hope on him. Because listen, you know where I think a lot of us are struggling the most? Or maybe it's just me. I, I don't know. 
But we are a vacation culture, aren't we? We're, let's just back it up. We're a weekend culture, you know, TGIF, man. Like that's what we do. That's what gets us from Monday to Friday. But that's in many ways been taken away from us because these days, you know, your trip to California to go to Disneyland has been canceled. Your trip to Mexico canceled. Your trip to Thailand canceled. Your trip to the next province canceled. Like, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Manitoba just recently has put a stipulation that you can't, I have a, I had a speaking engagement to Manitoba coming up in February canceled. Why? Because they're not letting anybody from another province in without quarantine for 14 days now. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) You guys get what I'm saying, right? Like Mm -hmm. all, all those little things that we kind of put our hope into that get us from one day to the next gone. And it really does force you to just deal with yourself, right? Like where, where's my hope actually found? Is it found in that vacation to Disneyland? That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Or is it bigger than that? Is it my relationship with the Lord? You know, that's a really good uh, segue because I remember early in the pandemic, probably around March was when I think everyone globally was now being affected in some capacity versus just being, you know, an an onlooker and wondering when's it going to hit us. But I remember being shown something called the seven mountains of culture. And so I'll just read these to you guys real quick and then I'll get to the rest of my point. Arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, religion. Now, by the time the pandemic has pretty much affected everybody globally, you started seeing all of these mountains affected, like almost simultaneously. You know, I'll highlight family because you you think about the person who has been working crazy hours. They work ridiculous hours and now, you know, they've been let go. They've been fired or whatever with no real promise of when they're going to go back. Now they're at home with their family and they can't stand it because work had just been an escape as much as it was their career and something that they, you know, would say they love to do. It was also an escape from the reality that you have family responsibilities. And so you have people that have no desire to hang out with each other now forced in, you know, literally forced to stay in amidst the pandemic and it exposed things. You know, it really exposes those sorts of things. You think about the education system. My sister had to redo her curriculum three times. You know, one minute she's doing online, the next she's not. And then it's back to online and then it's small classroom and then it's multiple classrooms. And, you know, she loves to teach, but she said, not this way. But there's that expectation that she's just going to soldier through it all. And, you know, it, it was hard for so many people. But I just love, you know, looking through the lens of a believer and realizing, man, God single handedly showed the frailty of every single one of these things. So far be it from me or any believer for that matter to be putting all of our hope and faith and trust in these things that ultimately are going to fail at some point, which is why in all that we do. It has to be as an act of worship unto the Lord, because ultimately we are here for him. We are here. We were created and designed for relationship with him. 
And so if anything that we're doing doesn't reflect back to him, we need to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could call this the COVID-19 humbling project uh, <laughs> <laughs> in which uh, the Lord has quite quickly uh, humbled the entire world. I, there is some irony to this that I've, I've talked about before that that the Lord did it with a virus, the smallest thing. You know, like you can't even see it. That's how frail we are. And and just absolutely, uh, you know, brings the world to its knees. Now, listen, I'm not trying to say COVID-19 is is God sponsored or anything, but I do know that the Lord can use anything to his his good aims. That's also not to say that he wouldn't use a virus to to humble the world either. I mean, uh, I would definitely be leaving that on the table. I want to bring up, though, a different aspect of this conversation that I think we need to think about. How has COVID-19 effect, affected the church? How, how has it affected both those who are serving in the church and those who are attending church? Because I've had a taste of both over this time because I was still full-time pastoring uh, when COVID hit. I went back to Apologize Canada full-time in September that was something that those were gears that were put into motion a year previous as for those who've been following the podcast knew that I was feeling God leading me back to apologize Canada. I, of course I had no idea a pandemic was coming, but <laughs> uh, I, I just felt that that was the Lord's leading. It's, it's been interesting just to watch as God's blessed, even in the midst of this, this pandemic. But one of the things that, that I have found interesting is, is just to see how this has affected pastors and how this has affected the congregant, those those who come to church. And it's been interesting to see it in different ways, because as I've talked with, with you guys before, one of the things that has concerned me with the church is the level of pride in the church, the level of pride that you and I have in a variety of different ways that has really just been laid bare through through this experience. I want to bring up one though for you guys. I mean, we, we wanted to talk about a couple on the show today, but I want to bring up one that the Lord has just really put on my mind, my heart. It's from Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome. And I can't help but feel that what Paul says to them is something he has learned through the Lord's humbling of him, which is interesting because you know, his initial call was a call of humility. The Lord's like, I'm calling you, Paul, but trust me, you're going to suffer, but I'm going to do good things through your suffering. And here's one of the good things that has, that came through Paul's suffering that I believe many in ministry need to learn, myself included but we need to learn. And, and here's what he says. Romans chapter 15, he's talking to the church there in, in Rome, trying to connect with them as he's trying to expand his missionary work into Spain. And he says, he says this, I'll start in verse 15. He says, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me. I love how he talks about the humility that God's doing in his life. That's the grace right? Because of the grace to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the key portion. Therefore, 
I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Here's the point. It is so easy for you and I to think that the good stuff going on around us is all about me and my doing. We can even do this with the gospel. And this is one of the challenges of being a pastor and how easy it is to become prideful in ministry. Not just pastoring, but missionary work of all sorts. If you're not careful, you can begin to think that even the work of the Holy Spirit in another person's life through the power of the gospel was your doing. Notice what Paul's saying there. He knows this is not my power. It is the power of God at work in people's lives. And that's what he boasts in. He doesn't boast in himself. He boasts in the Lord. Isn't that the humbling work that you and I need on a regular basis? Because we tend to think that we're the powerful one, that we're the one doing it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like I think about how, how much peace I've been able to have during this pandemic you know, if someone were to ask me about that and I were to just give them a list of things apart from also recognizing first and foremost that it has come from Christ, it just becomes selfish. And like you said, it, it's prideful to point them to me like I got the blueprint. Well, I do have the blueprint and that's the word of God. And that's about it. And anything from there still has has come from the foundation of the word of God and my relationship with Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to prompt me to make the changes that I've needed to make. And I think when we approach it from that angle, it makes it more tangible. We don't sit up on our high horse of faith and say, well, when you when you upgrade to level 15, <laughs> you, you'll be able to have peace in a pandemic. No. First Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who may ask you the reason for the hope that is within you. So that makes it pretty clear that you got to have an answer. And as far as I'm concerned, that answer should lead to Christ, not to you. It kind of goes hand in hand with our view of grace, especially in the evangelical church. When we talk about grace, we almost... We have the tendency to limit it to our salvation, which in turn can be very shallow the way we view it, right? Because often, especially evangelicals are prone to this, we think of salvation as this, you know, having a fire insurance, being saved from hell kind of thing, which, yeah, it, it's it's a part of it. But there is also this aspect of, okay, you know, yes, you're saved, but then there's the whole process of discipleship and sanctification that has to come as a grateful response to what God has done. And all of that is going to be done by the grace of God, right? So, it's not just that first, what theologians call the justification at the very beginning that is by God's grace. Like, And, and then if you look at Paul's theology, it's grace is just, it's everything. Even the fact that God created the world, that is an act of grace. That, that is not something that he had to do. It, it was a gift for us in a lot of ways, right? It displaces glory. And for us humans, it, it, it's a tremendous gift. The gift of life, the gift, gift of the creation that he has put under our charge so that we can govern 
it, like God would govern it, right? That, which is a, a huge part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And all of these things, so every aspect of our lives is permeated with God's grace, but we don't really, see, we tend to have a narrower view of that. Here, I want to push back on this, Steve, and see how you would respond to this. Because mm-hmm. I think that this is a problem in evangelicalism, mm. is when you talked about being saved, what saved from what? Mm-hmm. Saved to what? Right. You know, there are so many that redefine that however they see fit. I've been saved to health. I've been saved to wealth. I've been saved mm-hmm. to comfort. I've been saved to never be bored, to never suffer. Mm-hmm. What have we been saved to? And from. Right. And that's one thing that we don't often talk about in the church, right? Because we're, we're quick to talk about what it is that we're saved from. And typically, we talk about it in terms of that fire and brimstone, hell. And then what are we saved to? Well, it's heaven, right? We get to be in heaven. But what, what do they actually mean? What's the core component of that, right? And that that's where, for me, that's where the rub is. Because... The sort of the overarching story of the Bible is God having created human beings to be in that loving relationship with him and with one another, now having rebelled against him, right? And rather than having God be in charge of their destiny, Adam and Eve said, no, we're going to define what is good and evil for us. And we're going to do things our way, right? Now humanity is in exile. As far as I'm concerned, that's where hell started, right? Because hell, the idea is... God's presence. We were once with God, but we were alienated from God. And everything, the consummation is coming when uh, those he has called will be with him again, right? And so, that's the idea of heaven and hell is the essence of hell is to be apart from God. And the essence of heaven is to be with God. It's not the, the, the sort of the paradise picture of it that is primary, like where there's the feasting and, you know, playing and doing good work. And I mean, those are all good things, you know, having no pain, no crying, all that kind of stuff. But that is sort of the byproduct of us being united with God, right? That is the core thing. So, what are we saved from is that alienation from God. What are we saved to is the reunion with God, being reunited with God, Him being our God and us being His people, right? And that that is the view, I would say, that is... I think a bit fuller than just fire insurance view of salvation. And, and I find that sometimes that's the missing component in our evangelism. We sell the easily digested stuff, you know, and if, and if, we, if we can get them to bite on this reality, like, hey, do you believe in hell? You know, and you're like, now you're safe from hell. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But you were like, you, you were saved for a reason beyond just not going to hell. And then that starts really coming back to your identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, in my opinion, is where the journey really gets, can get difficult, where there's, you start seeing a lot of agitation because then you start talking about, you know, bringing up topics of someone's self-worth, um, their identity, who they, who they have believed they are, but then who they are in the eyes of Christ. And then as we contrast ourselves to that standard, you were bought with a price with the purpose of revealing the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Now, let's think about this whole idea of just being rescued from the danger of hellfire. One of the things that I have a bit of a hard time with is the way a lot of evangelicals evangelize is maybe 
by asking a question like, do you know where you're going when you die? My problem isn't so much with the question itself, but how that question is often perceived by other people. Often that question for me is not helpful when I'm witnessing to somebody else, because where is the focus? When, when we're worried about going to hell and say, you know, burning for eternity or going to heaven, where's the focus? It's on me. It's my pleasure or my pain. I want to be saved from pain. I want to be saved to a life of pleasures and things like that. I'm like, that's, that's not at all the point of the gospel. But I think one of the things that this pandemic has done is in a lot of ways, it kind of knocked us off of our own pedestal. Now we're starting to recognize a little more. I'm not the center of the universe. And you know what? I need people. I need other people around me, right? It's just not the same when we sit down over, you know, Zoom and talking like this. I mean, it's better than not having it. But you know what I would rather do is be in your presence. I need people. I'm not that strong, right? When I'm alone, it's so obvious just how weak I am. And you know what? That's okay. It's, It's okay to be weak. It's just... I recognize that it's my nature to be with one another. I am not the center of the universe. You know, I think an important piece of this, Steve, and we've talked about this on the show, but I want to reiterate it for anybody who's perhaps never heard us talk about this before. We have to be careful when we talk about hell and heaven as future realities. Uh, They are both present and future realities. You don't need to die to get a taste of hell on earth, nor do you need to die to get a taste of heaven on earth either. I mean, sanctification begins now. It's not like Mm -hmm. sanctification begins later. You know, it's fulfilled later, but you're, you're in the midst of it now because what the gospel is about is about relationship. It's about your relationship with God being reconciled, and it's about your relationship with one another being reconciled. But you can either continue that or start that journey or not, right? I mean, when you read the book, The Great Divorce, and I, I love C.S. Lewis's title for that, you know, that, that is, it is the great divorce. It's the greatest divorce when you break relationship with the Lord. And, and you and I know of the damage of that when we do smaller divorces, when we divorce ourselves from one another. But I don't know that we get a full understanding of just how horrendous that is. That, that's why Jesus talks so much about hell. That's why he uses such powerful metaphors to describe a reality worse than the metaphor. Mm-hmm. It, it's worse. It's not, you know, a metaphor is always trying to relate something that's worse than. You can't even get around it. You're trying to get around it. You're trying to explain it. This pandemic, wouldn't you agree, has given people a taste of hell on earth. That's exactly what I wanted to say. I mean, think about it this way, right? If you've been, for our listeners, if you've been with us for any amount of time, and if you've let Andy talk for any more than five minutes, he will have (laughs) mentioned that the meaning of life is relationship with God and relationship with people. Sorry. Guilty guilty as charged, brother. (laughs) I've been been going over thinking serious stuff with a life group at a local church here. So I'm I'm hearing this all over again, right? But I mean, that, that... Given that that is the meaning of life, then what is the opposite of that? When you are divorced from God and from one another, that is hell, right? 
And we're getting a, I mean, in Christian theology, we talk about how we have this foretaste of heaven. Why? Because for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, his spirit comes to live in us. We have the Holy Spirit. God's presence has restored. Exactly. There, that's There's the foretaste of heaven. And as Believers gather together, right? That is, a, 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 again, a foretaste of heaven, of what it will be like when everything is consummated, right? In the same way that what that means is for those of us who do not have the Holy Spirit living in us, hell has already begun. And so our earthly existence is a really this interesting sort of crossroads of heaven and hell. This is where they intersect. And what we're going to see is when the new heaven and new earth come when heaven and earth meet again, so to speak, in, in its fullness, this is when these trajectories that were already in place are going to be finalized. Maybe this is an opportunity rather than just something to be dreaded. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to grow in holiness, right? So when we, when the, if and when the time comes for us to gather together in body again, I mean, can you imagine the tremendous good that will be brought about by Christians devoting themselves to write, um, not just doing it just so you can check the annual Bible reading plan or something of that sort. <laughs> Keep up but, your streak. <laughs> yeah, but but genuinely, as you seek to become more like Christ, and when we come together, I mean, goodness, the what what would happen to our churches? I think that that's going to be the key, and that's what we'd want to advocate for, is that we're thinking about what do I actually value, what is really important to me, and I think, and I hope, that if there's something that has been pressed upon you, it's your need and desire for community and the participation in community, because this is one of the challenges about community. Community isn't just something that you take. It's something that you give. It's something that you're a part of. The you and I need the church and the church needs us. That we're a part of the body of Christ together and that we need one another. I hear so many people that talk about church as, you know, something that is all about them. But it's not all about you. It's about each of us together needing one another. And and this is an interesting place maybe to end this podcast that this pandemic, I think, has given a lot of us that have been relationally full an idea of what it looks like to be relationally bankrupt, what it looks like to be lonely, given us a taste of anxiety, things that our brothers and sisters, many have been struggling with for years that we've been completely unaware of. I know that it's been a challenge to me in this regard and what it looks like to be somebody committed to community that is participating, not just looking at myself, but looking at the other as we come together as the church. By the way, isn't that the beauty of the gospel that we invite people into? It can be so easy to use different types of terminology where we forget this key aspect of the gospel that we're inviting people into a relationship with God, but we're also inviting them into a relationship with each other. It's a community and God is at the center of it. 
Well, on behalf of myself and the rest of the team here on the AC Podcast, thank you for listening to this week's episode, Reflection, A Year of Living in a Pandemic. Apologetics Canada is excited to announce that we are back at Columbia Bible College. Yes, it's true. Andy Steiger is back teaching on apologetics at the Abbotsford, BC location. So if you've thought about doing post-secondary biblical education, make sure to check out Columbia Bible College. Feel free to check out their website at columbiabc.edu.